on this week's Bet the Process podcast, we go in a different direction than we normally do. We have a very smart, qualitative guy that actually is good at stuff. That's not just like math. He's actually good at being good at something. And it's something called golf. real. And he's like, oh, wait, Rufus talked during the introduction. Oh, that my God, I happens. talked during the introduction. Like he, he didn't even know. Anyways, we talked to uh, Drew Stoltz, who is the host of the Subpar Podcast, which is the number one golf podcast in the world, arguably, inarguably. And we talk Masters, and then we even talk um, our Calcutta, which will be coming up next week. And hopefully we'll have some really amazing people in that Calcutta that aren't the normal people that you guys are all tired of. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. This is a very special episode probably the most specialist episode we've ever had um since we did the bachelor episode but we were joined by drew stoltz who you your podcast is that i hear it's the number one golf podcast is, is that true uh depends who you ask but i think i don't really check what if i big... asked you is it the number one oh, well then of, fucking of course yeah dude, it's yeah. the best thing and it's since rogan but um yeah i'm you know i don't i'm not a big rankings guy check in and all that but yeah i, I can kind of keep tabs on it through our producers and stuff and and it's, it's going well we're about what are we 14 months in now we launched it uh phoenix open week of last year so yeah we're just a little you know we're just a little over a year in but it's going really well we've uh, we get a lot of a lot of guys on a lot of uh, pga tour guys and then we, we you branch have, like, out from unbelievable guests i was like just listening to the george brett one and that oh, one's dude he's the best Find, I dare you to find a better guy than George Brett. He's not out there. He's the ultimate dude, and he's got stories. We just scratched the surface. How about John a, Brelig? John Brelig might be better. John Brelig is 1B Close. behind Close. George Close. Brett, yeah. <laughs> That's an Easter egg. You got to Google John Brelig to see who we're talking about. Um, so how did you guys start the podcast? And tell us a little bit about it, because our our audience is typically not well-read. Like they're, They don't listen to podcasts. They typically are just on Twitter complaining about us most of the time making All sure that i talk them. less and that rufus doesn't actually uh, well so rufus's name he was named after a dog which is something that's like been kind of awkward for him for quite some time <laughs> we finally actually made it a, a real thing where we have t-shirts that say bet the process rufus is a dog's name we do um, but anyways back to this idea of like how did you guys get well, into the podcast and tell us a little bit about it because like I would only hear great things about it and finally started listening. I'm like, this is, this is great. And like the guests you have are insane. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So we're lucky that we started this podcast, like I said, about, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, Colt and I, so I do the show with my, with my co-host Colt Nose, who's a former PGA tour player. The time that this started was rewind another year prior to that. Uh, we were approached by Sirius XM to start doing a, a golf radio show, right. On, on Sirius XM. So we started that What's when we serious? started. That, is it, what is serious? It's just like when you're just when kidding. you're not joking around. <laughs> oh, not got it. Yeah, so it's the opposite of, of joking. Yeah, now he's being not serious. Got Correct. It. <laughs> yeah, dude, you get it. You get it. You're yeah. sharp. You're a sharp guy. Um, so we started doing that like you know about a year prior or so. Um, 
we were only one day a week, one hour a week. So it was just more or less like a hobby at that point. Right. And the good thing about Colt and I is that like he clearly he was on the PGA tour for a while. I played professional golf for seven years, uh, finished up my, you know, when I quit, I was on the web.com tour and that's when I shut it down. But so we know most of the guys that are out there right now, the guys that are winning, the guys that are winning majors and playing well. So we have like personal relationships with most of these guys. So we were approached um, about a year later by golf.com golf magazine those guys and they said hey we're going to get into the digital space we want to get outside of the magazine we want to start going to that world would you be interested in doing a podcast we're like yeah by the way can we talk about how funny this is that like golf magazine was like hey we think magazines might not be the future this (laughs) podcast thing would you be interested in it we feel like newspapers might be a dying breed and we need to (laughs) we need to branch out so so we we got into that and Colt was kind of nearing the end of his playing career. I think he, he had battled some injuries and things like that. And I think he was looking towards the next thing. And so the fact that we were already doing the radio together, they're like, Hey, we'd love you guys to come on and do a podcast with us. And I had been wanting to do one for a while, kind of along the, the same lines of what we're doing right now. Like let's do long form interviews with a lot of these golfers. Cause like, quite frankly, these interviews, you see them on TV after rounds and it's like, Hey, what, you know, how do you feel after that? It's all the same cliche bullshit questions. And these guys go into robot mode and you don't really ever get to know these guys. And I'll see like one of my buddies on TV. I'll be like, that's a really funny, cool dude. But like, you would never know it after that interview. Let's go show these guys what these dudes are really like. And so that's when we started, like I said, a year ago at the Phoenix Open. Uh, we started off with John Rom, Gary. Well, we get some good names coming on. And then from there, it's just kind of snowballed. And now we've, we've branched out. We do some non-golf. Like you mentioned, George Brett. We've had Charles Barkley. Johnny Manziel like we get guys kind of from all different walks of life it's not just golf but we're kind of a, a golf centric podcast I have to say I, I loved I loved the Andres Gonzalez episode that's my boy he's that the guy, best in the like, world who knew man. how awesome he was he's the best half man half amazing and it's it's, it's not it's not even the right ratio dude he's more amazing than he is man that dude's an all-timer I love him to death what's the best like party who's the best like so if we were doing like uh like a like a prop on top partiers right like or like guy that's most likely to show up on the next round while he's still in contention but be so like still drunk yeah that's a good question i like that question immediately i'd have to do a little thinking but immediately my mind goes to joel damon right last week's winner down in the dominican he from day one he's been one of those guys i mean i i grew up playing the mini tours on like just you know, dog shit golf tournaments with him and then all the way to the the Canadian tour and then the web.com and all that stuff. And Joel was always a guy that had tons of talent, but just loved to have a good time. And I, God bless him for that. Right. Like that, that's just the way he was. And I was always like, dude, if you can just kind of figure out the right balance, this happy medium between having a good time and playing golf, you're more talented than pretty much everybody out here. Like you're going to make it. And I think he's found that balance right now, but he and Max Homer guys, we actually had them on a radio show not long ago it was a year ago at Riviera and they had both played well they both I believe top 10 and uh, they called us out of the blue during the radio show together and it was like middle of the day morning maybe and they hadn't stopped going and they were both completely blasted so Joel and Max would probably be the two names I throw out so does Joel has a go, special place I want to just know if talk Joel... about your special place in the your heart for Max Homa you went well, on I... like a you went <laughs> on like a big uh like sports betting uh slack room or whatever and shit on anyone that that thought had max homa oh before he was well, oh yeah i, I said like that, i don't understand the max homa love blah blah oh, blah and it was there was some was, tout that was or some people were saying max homa at like 50 to 1 or 61 was a great bet and i like had him at 150 to 1 and, and i i kind of was like this is 
This is my litmus test for if somebody's a square. If they like can you, home can at you, 50 to Drew, one. can you guess <laughs> what tournament that was? Possibly yeah. Riv? Was it? Yeah. yeah. What Possibly is Riviera? The Genesis Invitational. Yeah. So. What is Riviera where Max Home is the, the, the now? I like that you champion. framed in the form exactly. of questions. So yeah, that's how I'm trained. But wait, I want to know if Joel Damon goes out with his bucket hat. Like, I would have thought, given that, that he's probably the least party animal golfer. No, dude, Joel goes out. But let me tell you, when Joel goes out, it ain't a button up and, you know, nice denim and some shoes. It's like T-shirt, sweatpants, that type. He's not a dress-up guy. But if you want to bring 39 beers over to the crib and have a good night, like Joel, Joel will go with you till the cows come home. And he'll also, if you want to show up to the golf course at noon with 39 white cloths, also he will, he will uh, indulge with you. He's, he's all time and he can, he's got a, he doesn't have a lot of governor when it comes to that, which is why it's so cool seeing him actually go up there, do what he's doing and winning because he also, he's just a regular dude. Like anyone that sits down and has a beer with him would love him. So unfortunately I, I wish I had known this before I bet on him in a matchup against, I don't even know who it's against. He's up by one stroke after one round, but, but, you know, coming off of a win, you're like, how is this guy going to play? Like, is, is he going to just be partying or is he going to be like, you know, yeah. and, and, and so I'm a quantitative guy. I kind of look at, I look at the data and I say, okay, there isn't this sort of hangover effect generally after winning, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some guys that will have that hangover effect. Yeah. So he's actually, I mean, full disclosure, I bet against him this week too. in a head to head, I believe I have him against Hideki this week but uh joel is a guy i tend to on that respect i know you're all numbers and stuff like that and i have no idea what you guys do and how you do it you're, you're way way better than me but i think first time winners on the pga tour the following week i tend to short those guys because i know what a big deal it is i've been around guys that have won for the first time i know how their mindset changes i know what a relief that is what a weight off their shoulders that is to get that two-year exemption and everything else that comes with it and then when you got guys like all right Tiger Woods, right? Who's made a habit of winning over and over and over those guys that win. So constantly you're Justin Thomas's, you know, Jordan speed. I don't tend to short them the next week because they do it so regularly that it's not that big of a deal. But for Joel, I was on the same page as you. I was like, I don't expect the world from Joel this week. If he went home after Friday and got a week off, uh, I think he'd be plenty happy. Yeah. Well, unfortunately I'm not on the same page as you there. I have Damon plus plus one eleven against Aaron wise. Oh, okay. But there you go. He's up one. He's up one. There you go. It's He's interesting hanging. though, because like I have found overall, I actually did look at like first time winners and um, there isn't any effect. I, I, I didn't find any significant effect. Obviously it doesn't mean there is, there isn't one. Like, I mean, it means I guess in aggregate, there hasn't been one in the past, but you don't have, there's just not a big example. You know, you got to go pretty far back and obviously it's, you know, golf has changed over the years too. Yeah. I think I've just been around enough dudes that have won for the first time and seen the absolute gong shows that take place after those events. And I'm like, I have 0.0 expectations for these guys going forward. And it may not play out that way on paper or in their results or things like that. But, uh, uh, that's been kind of my, you know, theme. If a guy that wins a ton wins, I don't tend to short him. If a guy is first time, uh, I, I might look at that. Uh, I mean, from what you've said though, it sounds like Damon is probably pretty good when he's hungover. Because he's got think, a lot of experience with it. I think he might be better with a little in the system. You know what I mean? Um, he's one of those guys that just needs – I don't say he's got to get weird or anything like that, but just he's the guy that goes in after the round on a Thursday. He might shoot 66, and he'll be in there having a couple pops. With the, You know what I mean? He's not on – he might not be on the range and doing that sort of stuff. At least that's the way he was when I was playing with him in Canada and things like that. But that could have easily changed over the years. It's a little bit more business-like when you're on the big show than when you're playing on the, on the Jakey Jacks. So, okay, here's the question then from this, because like we are like a betting and analytics podcast. 
And I think one of the things that you can bring to this that will be interesting is juxtapose Rufus's mechanical, like I'm a robot attitude to everything. That's bullshit. What, what <laughs> players out there do you look at and you're like, wow, if this guy ever just really committed, he has so much talent and like Rufus can't see that shit, right? Cause Rufus only sees his results. He doesn't see the talent. Wait, wait, right? wait. But my whole process is looking at the stuff underlying the results to say, Oh, this guy's going to get, this guy's actually underperforming. Like, no, but Rufus, we're saying not only are they not actually, they're not, they're like literally not performing well because they don't give a shit. They haven't like actually like figured out that like, and he, Drew is like actually hung out with these people and like knows whether they're talented or not, like has seen them on practice rounds or whatever, right? Like has seen them at their best. You don't think there's something that he sees in them that your fucking numbers don't see? Oh, I'm sure there is. Okay, so that's the question. So, that's a, so who are the players that you would say, like, you just can't believe they're not playing better? Like Joel, like Joel Damon's one that you're, is interesting, right? Because you're essentially saying, like, if that guy ever really, like, and maybe committing to him wouldn't really help because it would change him and he wouldn't be enjoyed and burn out or whatever. But let's just say that there's people out there that you think, like, when, you, you know, once they start winning, you're like, oh, these guys have figured out and maybe they're going to take off. Yeah, it's hard to say because, like, Joel would be, again, the name that comes to mind, right? It's like, dude, you're so talented. He's such a he's such a good ball striker. He's not the longest guy on tour, which is a little bit tough to compete with these top-tier guys when he doesn't have quite the length of some of those guys. But he's always been a guy who's like, dude, once you figure it out, like, and you get your 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 balance there between having a good time and, and playing golf, you're ready. But, dude, there's – the guys on the PJ tour are so good that if you're a guy that has an immense talent, but also doesn't take it seriously. And, you know, is out there more or less having a good time. Um, it's going to show up. You just can't keep up with these guys who are living, breathing, dying this game. That's all they do. They wake up, get with that on their mind. If, with that being said, and this isn't a guy that I say, I'm saying doesn't work on his game because he grinds harder than anyone. He lives two miles down the road from me and I see it every day, but it's more or less, more or less, once this clicks in your brain and you figure it all out, you're going to be an absolute monster is Tony Finau. Like we've, I mean, he's the guy, right. He's got the one tour win and when are you going to win? He's got all the runner ups and all the top tens and all the stats and things like that. It's not necessarily, he's not a guy with pinpoint like, Hey, you're not taking it seriously. Cause Tony works his ass off and he doesn't have a lot of extracurricular stuff, you know, socially and all that stuff. But more or less, once he finds that formula to winning, once he knows, all right, here's what I need to do on Sundays. Maybe he's a little too tense and he needs to lighten up with his caddy a little bit more. Maybe he plays it too close to the vest and is too conservative. Maybe he needs to start playing a little more aggressive, whatever that formula is for him. Once he figures it out, I mean, the sky is the absolute limit for Tony Finau. From a talent perspective, he takes a backseat to maybe no one in the world if you took away the putter. Is that, is that, a, is that an option? Can we actually do a match where you don't have to putt? I would be all in for a match. Yeah, that sounds like you a just, terrific like, idea. Two putt. Everyone gets, Tony two putt. Everyone gets Corey two. Connors. That that's like those that's guys it. would love it. That's perfect, dude. Just two dudes that get it done, tee to green, and then for some reason on the greens can't seem to get it in the hole. So that wasn't like exactly your answer in terms of who who's got too much shit going out on outside outside of golf to play well. But Tony's the guy. It's like, dude, you got everything. You can. if he wanted to lead the PJ Tour in driving by. 15 yards he'd do it tomorrow 
like he's got that, you know what I mean? And he can, he can chip and he can hit all the different shots. He can fade it. He draws it, whatever he wants to do. He can do everything that not many guys can do. Even when you're going down the top of the world rankings, uh, it's just, he hasn't cracked the code for winning. And that's something I think that we all expected him to have by now, but for whatever reason, it hasn't clicked. That's interesting. Um, so let's move on to the masters going into the masters. Like, are there golfers that you're, you know, I know obviously this week is happening and, Oh, actually what, what's interesting is one of the analytics things that is, is sort of counter to what most analytics like models are, is that recent performance in golf tends to be a better predictor of near-term performance than it is in most sports. So in most sports, like if a football team looks really good the week before, it's not overly predictive of the next week. Whereas in golf, recent form or recent analytics is. And I know that like you guys talk on the podcast about recent form. So that is an area where sort of qualitative and quantitative tend to agree how do you how do you think about like the concept of recent form and 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 how do you even think about that from a qualitative standpoint i'm i'm huge recent form guy so if if a guy let's say a guy has an incredible course history somewhere right oh this guy's top 10 the last three out of four years at at x venue name it whatever it is but if that guy shows up to that event the following year with three missed cuts straight i'm not like oh well throw that out the window. Cause he always plays good at this golf course. I tend to, I could see, I would rather have a guy that's played great the, fall, the past three weeks, show up to a golf course where he's been dog shit for the last four years and then bet on that guy as opposed to the, to the contrary. Right. So I'm a huge recent form guy. I, I just know from playing the game, like if I'm playing well leading up to an event, I don't care what my, what my track record is at this golf course that I'm stepping foot on that I, I feel good about it regardless. If I'm, if I'm hitting the ball at the middle of the face and it's coming out where, I've, where I expect it to and my short game feels tight, putter feels good, I don't care where I'm at, whether or not I've won there before in the past or, or missed every single cut, I feel good going into that golf course. So I lean, on, I lean on recent form when I'm making bets way more than I lean on like historical results. How well has this guy played at this golf course to a certain extent? Wait, how many cuts had Max Homa missed in a row before he won it? Quail Hollow. No, uh, and you could also go to Joel Damon, by the yeah. way, at the Dominican, who had literally had one made cut this calendar year, I believe, and it was like a really low finish. So, the, like I said, golf's a weird well, game. It's uh, hard to predict. Definitely a strange game, hard to predict, but recent form. Uh, there's something in golf when you get when something clicks and you get that confidence going that you can't put your finger on. It can come out of left field, out of nowhere. You might just find something on the range one day and be like, oh, my God, I got it. And I hadn't had it for three weeks and all of a sudden that guy can pop up and win. But yeah, for the most part, I tend to, to look at, um, you know, recent form going in versus like historical results and things like that. But Rufus, can, can I ask, wait, Jeff, can I ask a question real quick? Can I ask about um, course fit versus course history? So, you know, I, I can look and say, okay, this course rewards guys that hit the ball long. You don't have to be accurate, you know, um, Muirfield Village is a course where being good around the greens is important. You know, there's courses where putting doesn't matter as much. Um, and, but there's also, obviously there's, and, and so players that have those strengths or weaknesses, like or you expect to do better or worse there. Uh, but then there's also, aside from that, the sort of course history thing, like guys that you wouldn't expect to necessarily do well at a particular course, given their attributes that consistently perform well there. Like, and and I'm kind of curious, like I've always wanted to be able like have data on um, a guy's ball flight or like, you know, 
if this guy, you know, if this course has a bunch of holes where you, you need to draw the ball and this guy's much more comfortable hitting a draw or something like that. I mean, I, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what are sort of those things that, that, that I'm not looking at in terms of a player's actual sort of strengths um, that w- would have sort of affect how a, a golfer plays sort of relative to that expectation. I look at a lot, honestly, um, geography plays a role for me. So I just know from being out here in Scottsdale, Arizona, right. There's a, there's a ton of tour pros around here. There's, there's 25 of them within five miles of where I'm sitting right now. And I know for a fact that a lot of those guys grew up playing on the West coast, love playing the West coast events, whether or not they're long guys or short guys going to Torrey Pines. They like Torrey Pines. They like going to Palm Springs. Cause guess what? They've been playing on that same type of grass for the last four months leading up to it, things like that, uh, that they're more comfortable. And I also know that a bunch of those guys, as soon as the West coast swing ends and they go to the Florida swings, they might just take a knee. If they played well on the West coast, they might be like, dude, I'm out. I hate Florida. I don't play well on Bermuda. I hate the grain. I hate the wind. I hate all this stuff. And they might just take a knee. So I look at places where guys are, are comfortable playing. And I don't know how much, like, I, I, I don't know all the data that you guys put into making your picks, but like, grasses and things like that or something that might show up you know that might not show up on a lot of people's data like oh this guy plays well on long golf courses all right well does he play are those golf courses bent grass are those are those ryegrass greens what are there is it bermuda you know what i mean like bay hill is a lot different than tory pines both really hard ball striking golf courses totally different types of golf courses though so i look at a lot of geography for instance like kevin streelman is a guy he plays out here i play with him a lot he loves the west coast he goes out to pebble beach and plays great every single year then when you go home when you go back and get him up in the like the northeast like the travelers by the way he's really good out there you know what i mean he he tends to not play well in texas and things like so those are little things i look at i think geography and just not necessarily course fit but like how what are these guys comfortable playing on those type of surfaces those types of grasses and things like that because you can take daniel berger for instance i know he just won at pebble so that's kind of a you know, maybe throw that away. But prior to that, he's been great in the state of Florida. It's where he grew up. It's where he went to college. He's been great in Memphis, right? The St. Jude, he's dominated there. Those are all very similar types of grasses and conditions. So I look at a lot of that type of stuff too, more so than like ball flight or things like that. Because I mean, Augusta is a place where you think every, you know, on paper, that's a right to left golf course, right? Everyone says, oh, it favors a draw, favors a draw. Look at all these holes where you have to draw the golf ball. Well, who's won the most times at, at Augusta? Jack Nicholas, what did he do? Fade the golf ball. We just had John Rahm on our show last night. We did a whole master show. He says, I don't give a shit about He fades the golf ball every time. He's like, I don't give a shit about drawing it. It's no problem. There are no holes out there that give me an issue in terms of having to turn it right to left. So I look less at that. Well, and Reed, Reed won after, you know, he was hitting that sort of the helicopter follow through when he won. He was, yeah, trying he had to this. Not draw so it. That was his like straight shot to, yeah. to fade shot. He had to do that Arnold Palmer helicopter. So what's you interesting about so, Rufus's boyfriend? Rufus's boyfriend is John Rom. Oh, you uh, love Johnny Boy? Every I time he can. I don't think anybody has, has wagered more money on that guy than I have. You want me to get you like a signed glove or something, dog? He'll slide <laughs> after, that over after to he you. Wins, after he wins the Masters. All right. Well, be beware because the baby's due between Saturday and Monday. And I'm, it's still on track. There's a little insider tip. It's still on track. Here's another little insider tip. Our show releases Tuesday with John so that it'll, you can still catch it, but... He said, we were asking him, I was like, all right, dude, you're four shots up on the 71st tee and your phone vibrates. What do you, you tell me? You're tell me you're getting out of Augusta. No chance. Like you're, and he said, okay, yeah, I'm playing. So basically we, we walked it all the way back to if he's in contention on the final round going into the back nine on Sunday, 
the rule basically is, or the deal is, his wife, Kelly, is probably not going to call. They're going to probably hold off on the call, even if she goes into labor to let him play out the master. So there you go. That's how it's going to shape. But he said if Saturday, if it comes Saturday, he's like, I'm out of there. So there you go. Yeah, that's got to be hard, though, to be able to focus on that event. when you. That's what I said. I was like, dude, I mean, it it might be kind of nice. He's a little more under the radar than you would, you know, think during if he wasn't having a baby in the next week. Well, he's still he's still only plus he's only still plus a thousand, right? He's 10 to one. That's not a two way price, Jeff. Like, I mean, at this point, if if you say, okay, there's a 25 percent chance that, you know, he drops out. Well, I have to figure out what, what the odds are that he tees off and then drops out but so sometimes pro- Rufus doesn't so, realize so maybe, he's talking he, should... he just thinks he's thinking maybe i maybe... do it too i yeah, do it yeah. too sometimes i just think out loud yeah don't worry a lot of a lot of a lot of geniuses do that dude <laughs> well, i like it when people genius, say they're but... just they're just i like it when people just say they're talking out loud i'm like no no i think you mean you're thinking out loud you're talking you're loud. actually Everyone talking talks out loud Wait, like, okay, so Jeff, let's talk Jeff, about Jeff, the Wait, wait. Uh, you, I, I'm well, gonna like. Go I'm gonna prevent all this Twitter criticism of of you from not for not allowing me to ask the follow up questions about the actual golf nerd stuff. So, uh, what is it with Europeans in Florida? I have found a very very strong like. This is probably the the best golf tip I've ever given out on the podcast. But Europeans overperform like crazy in Florida, and is it the fact that they all like? I mean, a lot of them live, I mean, even controlling all for the fact there. that living, but controlling for that fact, like I, I have where the guys have lived, where they went to college, where, you know, all, all that data and controlling for that, like Europeans, you know, and, and for whatever reason, history, like how a guy's played on Bermuda grass in the past has absolutely no impact on, on how they are going to perform in the future on Bermuda grass. At least that's what I found, but still I, I, I do tend to think like, I mean, guys that are from Florida are going to play better in Florida. Yeah. Right. There's your Daniel Berger. There's those guys. There's guys that are Florida guys, Texas guys, you got California guys, but all the Europeans more or less that I know minus, I mean, Paul Casey's out here. I wouldn't even call him a European guy because he plays predominantly on the PGA tour, but they, they home base in Florida because it's the quickest flight back and forth to Europe. But I, I knew that Europeans played well there. I didn't know that they outperformed, you know, other places that are similar conditions, Bermuda grass, things like that. But um, I would just say the, the comfortability, I was always a guy, I'm a West coast guy. I grew up in Colorado, uh, live in, live in Scottsdale. I despised going to Florida because it is so different. Chipping the golf ball it couldn't be more different going from Palm Springs to, um, PGA national. Like it is so different the, the way the bounce works through the grass and you got the grain and all the different things. So there's an art, I think, to playing in that Florida stuff that if you do it every single day, day in, day out, you become accustomed to it. And it's just second nature. And if you're a guy that never plays there and then you fly in for, you know, the Florida swing and play two or three weeks down there, it can really make you look like an idiot, uh, especially around the greens. Not so much, not so different clearly off the tee or from the fairways, but around the greens, judging those lies in Bermuda grass, playing off the tight lies, we into the grain, down grain. How's the ball going to react? There's way more variables. And if you don't do it a lot, I, I liken it to learning a language, right? If you start young and you're, or you do it all day, every day, you're going to be pretty good at it. If you try it starting at age 26 and you do it a couple of times, you know, very sporadically, it's probably going to take you longer to learn it. And that, and that's the same way I would say to playing in Florida uh, in those conditions. What about the Kikuya grass? I that played, shit's I different. Played, I played yeah. down in Aruba at the um, the Tierra del Sol last week, um, which hosted like uh, 
Canadian tour and Latino America tour event back in the day. But like that stuff is so soft, but spiky at the same time. Yeah, dude. It's like, it doesn't have to be long to really grab the clip at that stuff's like the strongest grass, I guess, out there. And it's gnarly. You know, you hear every time they go to Riviera, they bring it up 78 times daily on the broadcast. It's just a different beast. And unless you're, you're playing at a place that has that, like a riv or something like that, you just don't see so that what, type of is grass. That what makes riv, is that what makes riv so hard? Because I've played riv and I've played other courses that people consider hard. And, and like everyone talks about how hard riv is. And I'm like, I mean, I suck at golf, so everything's hard to me. He shot but his I personal best 102 there. I didn't overly oh, think nice. that, like, Riv was, like, that hard compared to everything else. But, like, what makes Riv so hard? Tee to green is a tough golf course. I think you have to move it both ways out there. Ideally, you would have to move it both ways out there. If you miss a lot of fairways, that rough, is, it's really tough to judge the ball out of that rough. So if you're playing from it, it's tough to get any spin. It's tough to know, like, that's why, like, Bermuda guys are great. They can look at a ball in the rough identify the line like yep this one's going to come out really hot i need to club down take one or two less and they can also judge it and be like oh this is going to come out dead and this is you know i need to take one or two more kikuya i think is really really hard to gauge and if you're missing fairways or missing greens a they get that place you know b they get that place really really firm for that golf tournament typically when the when the conditions are good um it's a really hard place to get up and down from because chipping it out of that rough it's tough to get it close and you're faced with a lot of like six foot par saves, you know, seven foot par save, those type of things where typically if it was say rye grass out in Palm Springs and you miss it in the same spot, you're chipping it to two inches and it's dead and you're tapping it in. You have to just grind a lot more. And there's just not that dude after number one out there, there's not that many birdie holes. Like you can go par your way around that golf course, but it's a hard golf source to shoot like a 64, 65, 60, you know what I mean? Those golf, if you shoot one of those numbers out there, you really earned it because you're not getting the par fives that are just layups like you get, you know, on a lot of golf courses. The par fives, you got to earn your birdies after number one. Okay, let's move into the Masters. Going into the Masters, what are you – so, like, you, it sounds like you do bet on golf, right? Oh, yeah, so, I love it. I mean, I'm not like y'all. I'm not uh, – I'm in very distinguished company right now, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the dummy of the group. All my shit's subjective. I'll bet against the guy just because I don't like him because he – freaking stepped in my line five years ago you know what i mean but uh yeah i do but i do like the bet golf rufus you should actually do a core like you should do a model on whether someone stepped in drew's line whether that actually is predictive of whether they're good or not well, yeah. i don't know why like golfers don't like quote accidentally step in another guy's line like if you know on the 71st hole when they're tied um at the top of the leaderboard you know, I guess you can tap it now, though. So it's not that big of a deal yeah. nowadays. But I, I basically bet against guys I don't like a lot. So I'll give you my uh, Rufus. I'll give you my douchebag list too coming up. That'll be discreet under the radar type stuff. But you can short all those guys. Don't, only seven people are listening. So you don't you don't have to hold back. OK, perfect deal. I'll air them all out. All right, let's hear them. I'm, I'm ready for all this the douchebags. Yeah. yeah. Wow, Rufus this is doesn't good. have this in his model. Now he can't. No, dude, I, 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 uh, I can't. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna jump on it. By the way, we'll have some of these guys on the show, and maybe a couple have been on already. Who knows? So I'm not. I won't air all these guys out. But I'll send you my bets after this week, and you can probably figure it out. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right. So, like, who do we like going into the Masters right now, Rufus? Independent. Like, I know you don't want to give anything away. Blah blah blah. Because we're doing a big Calcutta next week. But, like, at least, Drew, you start. Like, wh who are the people, yeah. like, from recent form that you're excited to see play right now at the Masters and you expect big things from? That, like, maybe the public doesn't really know. 
All right. Well, I don't have any like flyers at Augusta really. So, I mean, most of my stuff's going to be towards the top. I'd be interested to hear how you guys think I'm, I'm big, big, big JT going into the, going into the masters. I love Justin Thomas. Clearly he just won the players. Um, he's been in great form. If you take away his little mini slump, I guess, if you want to call it that, which there was a lot of stuff going on outside of the golf world that time when he had a little hiccup down in Hawaii with the microphone. And then he had some family stuff with the death in the family that kind of shook him up a little bit. Um, I love JT there. If you look at his track record at Augusta, like his last four, I believe off the top of my head is like 22nd, 17th, 12th, 4th, I think are his last four events, uh, his last four masters. Right. So he's trending in that right direction every year. He seems to be getting better and better. And from an iron play perspective, having been around it, having seen it, I don't think there's one single guy on the PGA tour. I would take over Justin Thomas hitting his irons. He can hit every different flight. He can hit every different shot. He can club up and, or he can club down and hit it hard and high and with spin. He can club down and hit the little chippies. He can do everything. And Augusta being a second shot golf course, JT's the guy I'm, I'm really, really high on. I don't even factor in the match play, honestly, because it's such a, such a crap shoot and such a guy, if a guy loses, doesn't get out of the, out of his pool. I don't really give a shit. It's, it's such a tough deal in that thing. Anything can happen in that. So I kind of throw that out, but uh, I'm big time JT going in there. That would be like my favorite. Um, like I said, I don't really have a ton of guys down the list. If you want me to go down like a little bit further down, uh, I don't hate Daniel Berger, honestly. Uh, he's incredible ball striker too. Strokes gained T to green. He's been a monster since COVID, you know, since the restart after COVID last year. He's been a beast. And he's also just got like, this is one of these subjective, you know, qualitative things. Like he's just a, fucking bulldog like he wants to win he's a when he gets in the hunt he's really tough to beat he doesn't beat himself um i'm i'm if you're looking for like a quote-unquote kind of sneaky guy i don't think he's that far down the betting boards but i like daniel Berger too so, Rufus, how do you react to those so first of all i mean the match play like i spent i literally spent like eight hours last weekend going through every shot and finding the trying to find conceded shots <laughs> like like being like yeah this guy wouldn't have t- taken this putt the PGA tour doesn't market as conceded, but like the whole, you know, he already lost the hole. He didn't just make the 27 foot putt. Right. Right. And yeah. so in, in actually constructing scores for these guys and like, for example, DJ like played well, he just didn't make it out. Like, and so yeah. I, I think you're right. Like if you just look at how a guy did overall in the event, you're not getting the full story. Like you can yeah, play well. Match and not, play. Like Horschel didn't so play great. Tough. Like, like Horschel, mm-hmm. I don't think his numbers were great at all for the, you know, but he played guys that weren't playing as well also. So Dude, Patrick Cantley, I believe if I remember correctly, oh, played... was minus 15 in his first oh. two. Like he'd been boat racing that in a stroke play event. He doesn't even get out because he loses he, in the playoff. He was right. He, he, he had the most strokes gained round one and round two. Like, yeah, I love Cantley too. I didn't see beats him. Yeah. Exactly. And then he loses the play. I didn't want to rattle off like my top, you know, four guys who are all <laughs> going to be everybody's top four, but I, I love Patrick Cantley. I like Bryson a lot. I think uh, here's a subjective take last year, going into this thing, he was coming off the, the heels of what he did at Wingfoot, you know, boat racing that field, the pressure on him to win that thing was the expectations. Yeah. I should say I hadn't seen in a major championship since the Tiger Woods heyday era. And we actually did a podcast with Jordan Spieth. who's got a pretty damn good track record at Augusta national before the November masters. And he said, quote, this, this Masters is Bryson's to lose. And there's not many majors oh with a major champ, with a guy that's got green jacket saying that since Tiger Woods. So I thought that I, – I didn't I, – because of that reason, I stayed away from Bryson last year. I like him a lot more this year. 
He's an incredible putter. His distance thing gets way too much credit because every other aspect of his game is awesome. The only negative you could say about Bryson is no green books at Augusta National. He leans heavy on that green reading book. You can see him examining that every single event. No green reading books at Augusta. So I don't know. You know, we'll see how that that, that putter shakes out there. That's a positive for Rom, though. Rom's a great putter who hates the green books. We had a long conversation about it last night. He hates them. He loves Augusta because of it. And he says the best putters in the world put the best at Augusta. He's like Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed. You know, you can name you can name the guys. Crenshaw in the past. All the guys who were the best putters put the best there because it's all feel and artistry, quote unquote, as opposed to like, oh, this is on a two degree slope. Let me put my aim point up here. All right, this is gonna break a cup and a half. You know, it's all you got to do it yourself. Well, when, when we're off air, you got to let me know which guys are the Greens books guys and which guys aren't. Well, Zan, Bryson's one of them. Bryson's a big Greens book guy. So take Bruce, that why into Why do account. you do that kind of stuff? Our listeners actually have to joke. listen to you it and I talk joke, to each yeah. other. So <laughs> um, what is Bryson a, like? Is Bryson a good dude to hang out with? Haven't. So I have not been around Bryson a whole lot uh, personally. I've been around him in groups and things like that, but like one on one playing rounds of golf. I have not been around Bryson a whole lot. Uh, he's quirky. The first time I met Bryson was out in Palm Springs at an event called, um, oh, what's it called? It's a pro scratch event, a pro scratch event that they play out there. Of course called the plantation. He come in, he had just turned pro. He was the one length club, all the stuff kind of had, a, you know, he had all the buzz around him. And I mean, this is an event where I go out with, I play with my buddy Andres Gonzalez, right. And we pretty much get shit faced the entire time. And, and uh, try to compete. And once it's done, we go straight inside and play cards and drink for the rest of the night. Bryson got done, went to the putting green, putted. Then he had this one of those things, I think it's called a slack line, right? Where he, he cooked it up to two palm trees and was like balancing and walking in between the trees uh, back and forth. So at that point, I was like, this guy beats to his own drum. He does things differently. He's got the, you know, the single length clubs, all that sort of stuff. And I kind of like respected it. I was like, dude, He's not doing what every like what's cool or what's expected or whatever. He does what he wants to do. And I honestly respected it. But I, I don't know Bryson. Uh, he's one of the, the handful of guys I don't know that well um, personally. So but he definitely has a lot of conviction in what he does. And he and he, he he's got belief in it. What about Horschel? You've had him on your podcast, I think. He he's like kind of chatty, very chatty. Oh, Is that yeah. like a endearing quality or like watching it on TV? It seems annoying. I think it depends on who you are. If you're a guy that likes to yuck it up and wants to chat and you're paired with Billy Orschel, like you're going to have a good time because he's got a lot of stuff to say. Like we have him on the podcast. He's great because like that's a good interview, right? A guy that has a lot to say. We don't have to have many questions prepped for Billy when we come in because he's going he's gonna to go. But he's also the same way I said um, earlier about Berger. I said he's like a bulldog guy that wants, would, wants to rip your head off and stomp on your face. He's that kind of a competitor too. He wants to win uh more than anything which is why i think he's going to get a heavy 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 lean for this year's uh rider cup regardless if he's in the top 12 or not or, i mean top six are the only automatics but i think that match play win goes a long long way for him for the rider cup does wolf yucks it up more than horschel though right wolf wolf's wolf, chatty too yeah. we just played with him down in florida like a few months ago when we were down there to do some shows and yeah that was my first time around Matt Wolf too at that time. And like, it took about five minutes on the driving range leading up to understand like this dude likes to talk. And I mean, we talked the entire time around the golf course and he's great, dude. He's just a young energetic kid. And he's got, he's got a lot of stuff to say, which is great. Cause some of these guys are kind of robots and don't say much. He's not like that. 
He seems he seemed genuine. I remember just watching one of those practice rounds, I think, for like the 3M, you know, where they did the Wednesday thing. Yeah. He was just like, yep, yep, yep. But oh, he, yeah, yeah, he, he, he's a talker. So can I press you on? So, you, so you, I've heard this notion, you mentioned it, that Augusta is a second shot golf course. Um, I, so I haven't actually found that to bear out in the data, at least the way I'm looking at it. And I'm, I'm kind of curious where that comes from. And if that's, uh, if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I would say this. All right. You know, every golf course, if you go there and you drive it like shit, it's hard to win. You can't win anywhere driving it short, driving it crooked, right? Like that just is not sustainable. You might be able to, to, you know, grease out a score here or there on a given round, but you're not going to be the best players in the world week in, week out driving it bad. So I think you almost, you have to assume, all right, the guys that are going to be at the top are going to drive it well. From that point on, what separates everybody? And Augusta National, the reason I think all the play, I have not played it, so I'm just speaking on what I've been told by other players. The green complex is being so unique, so different, so big, so much slope, all that stuff that, like, the difference and, and the way they the course typically plays in April where it's bouncy and firm, the difference between, let's say you want to pitch a ball with a nine iron, 151 yards, right? and then played a little bit right of the hole and it'll bounce and it'll catch the slope and come back to the hole. If you miss that number by four yards, let's say, right. That could mean the difference between having a six foot birdie look or a 35 foot putt from the top of the tier that has to creep over the edge. And the best thing you can do even with, with gravity is nine feet past the hole. You know what I mean? Whereas if you go to most golf courses on the PJ tour, one guy pitches at 151, one guy pitches at 155, they might be, four yards apart from each other on the green, more or less, right? Augusta exaggerates, I think, the misses in terms of when you miss your numbers, you can be in some really bad spots with some two putts that become uh, almost not impossible, but really, really hard two putts. And that's why I also think lag putting is one of the most underlooked stats uh, at Augusta. The guys that win out there lag the ball incredibly well because you have to out there or you're going to be just beating yourself up with six, seven, eight footers the entire week. Yeah, we had Michael Collins on before the 2019 Masters, and he mentioned that he basically said the same thing. He said that the dead weight putters, Stenson's yeah. of the world, the Bubba's, even though Stenson hasn't done well there. But like, Speed. and I actually looked at it in the data after that, and I was like, and it actually, like, I literally like was looking at the shot level data and looking at the guy, basically um, distance relative to the hole on average for guys. And, and you know, the, yeah, the, not the Fowlers of the world that, that, that try to drill it, but the, the Bubba's. Yeah, Tiger would be the exception with that. He's a guy that likes to hammer home, but he hammers home short putts. His his lag putting is ideal. I mean, it creeps up to the hole. That's why I think Jordan, Jordan Spieth gets a bump at Augusta because of his putter, which is already his best weapon, becomes even a bigger a bigger weapon at Augusta because of that. So you mentioned the the having a very uh, very thin margin between a great uh, a great shot and a shot that puts you in a bad position. Mm-hmm. It made me think a little bit of Wingfoot, where, you know, you had to be perfect driving the ball to hit that fairway, um, or hit those fairways. And a guy like mm-hmm. Brendan Todd, who normally be great, like you know, he still wasn't hitting a bunch of fairways, and, and so it, it essentially made it such that driving accuracy didn't matter because Bryce, you know, Bryson, you know, it, it, nobody's hitting the fairway; it's about hitting it far. So, yeah, I, I wonder, like, if there is some of that at at Augusta, where you know how much control does a player really have between hitting at 151 and 152? I know I've seen these guys on the range with the track man hitting, like I've seen Woodland, like, you know, his caddy, I forget his name was, is like hit at 71. He hits at 71. And I'm like, 
damn, this is amazing. But yeah, you know, but there's all these things you can't account for too. I mean, there's wind, you know, wind gusts, like, I mean, it's, uh, you know, is there, is there any of that where like, I, I would think that might argue for like, you know, iron's battering a little bit less if because it's so tough the same way the wing foot was impossible to hit fairways and that's why bryson just shipped it all over the place exactly. and, and won there because like hey nobody's hitting a fairway i might as well hit it as hard as i possibly can yeah I, I mean i think there could be something to be said for that but when you look back at the guys who win there i don't know many guys who are who are like bad iron players and uh, granted anyone can be a mediocre guy and have a great week with the irons and things like that but i just think that you can put yourself in such bad spots around there by missing by not the hugest margin, like maybe one or two yards. Okay. That might be an exaggeration, right? Maybe it's five yards. I'm supposed to fly at 150 and I fly at 155. Then it starts to matter and things like that. And up to a certain distance, I think the great players literally can control it within three or four yards every single time. Uh, Especially as you go down into wedges, I've seen the great wedge players do it. Just like you mentioned with Gary Woodland, 71, bam. 71 on the track, man. The great iron players, I think, can scale that out. But it's also like trajectory. All right, cool. Back pin. Justin Thomas might be able to take a little extra club, choke it down, hit a little flighted one in there and skip it back to that back pin where other guys might be trying to fly it back there and there's a little less margin for error. I think a variety of shots and also working the ball left to right or right to left, depending on the slope of the green, to be able to use those slopes that can work the ball close to the hole. There's not a lot of guys that can do that. That's why, I mean, Tiger's the best at it. His track record's unbelievable there. Um, that's that's kind of why I lean towards a Justin Thomas uh, and guys like that. But that that's more or less from me. I'm saying this because this is what I hear guys say after they come back from Augusta. You know what I mean? Yeah. For in for me, like I, I look at a guy's predicted approaches approach strokes gained, and I find like not much there. So it's it's I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying maybe I, like the data I have, the way I'm looking at it. I can't find it. And so what does yours say is the most important? Different. If it's not second shot, like what's the data say matters? The, like, you know, in, like influences who wins the most. Well, who or who, like who plays well? Um, yeah. You know, being long off the tee is important. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. It, it Augusta is a course that, um, well, it's also the course where a course where course history matters more than any other course mm-hmm. anywhere. It's it's like I compare it to like Wrigley field and wind, you know, wind at Wrigley matters so much more than, than any other stadium and course history matters so much more at Augusta than any other course. And so, I mean, knowing where to miss and all that, I think that's the guys that are not accurate off the tee, like you don't need to be accurate. And that's, that's Mm -mm. kind of a big thing. No, like accuracy, I've factored in zero at Augusta. A it's super wide from tree line to tree line to get it into the pine needles and B, even if you do miss the fairway, the, the rough is not rough, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you just, just, you just little, don't want to put a little it like, perch. You just don't want to put it in like. You know, yeah, you can't have the huge misses like Rory. You know, when Rory kind of and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Someone like my brother Colin Morikawa is not a good bet at, at the Masters. You guys are related. Yeah, I'd heard that. <laughs> no, I love think? Colin at the Masters. I don't know if he's quite got the the gas off the tee um but you just said matters. like isn't his big skill accuracy and yeah he's a great he's a, iron player he's probably the best iron two. player in the world maybe number two number yeah i mean two i'd put JT. him right there but just if jt's hitting a, a nine and colin's hitting a seven that's a big difference out there and that's why it's going to be tough i i like colin morikawa way more at, at your typical prototype u.s open setups than i would like him at augusta not to say he couldn't go win at augusta 
but I'd love him way more at a U.S. Open where driving accuracy matters a ton and hitting greens matters a ton and the putter doesn't matter a ton. So what, what do you think about Rory? Rory, he's got a kid now, as does, like, I mean, first off, you were talking before about guys grinding and how everybody's practicing so hard and stuff and, and guys that it's not their whole life. They, they face an uphill battle. It looked, I mean, Rory's had a kid, his game's fallen off. He's tried to become Bryson, blah, blah, blah. Um, Fowler got married. I'm not, does he have a kid? Yeah. No kids. No, no kid, but he got married suddenly golf isn't everything. And I mean, maybe it wasn't before, but I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but um, what, where, where do you stand on Rory this week? Roy's a tough one for me because on paper, if you're going to build a player to play around Augusta ball from tee to green, it might be Rory, right? Like he hits hammers off the tee. He likes to draw the golf ball. Everything sets up perfect for him. He's been close a bunch of times out there and hasn't been able to get it done. When I look at Rory right now, and this is just me gauge, I think Rory's working really hard on his golf game. I think he is, but I think he's lacking some sort of, I think he's lacking a, a, like the juice, when he's out there on the course. I don't know if it's because of no fans or what, but he just doesn't seem to have that, that drive um, just from the outside looking in that he had early on. And I, I think he still wants to win. I just don't know that like if Rory's not in contention at the beginning of at the, after 36 holes at a random PGA tour event, I don't know that he, like I, if I was Rory, I wouldn't really give a shit at that point. What's the, all right. So cool. I finished 13th or 32nd. Who cares? That doesn't, I mean, that's gas money at this point. It doesn't really matter. I think he's motivated by one thing and that one thing is winning. And if he's not going to, if he's not going to win and he, and it's kind of out, you know, outside of contention. Uh, I don't know that that grind is there. Like it might've been early on in his career. I mean, dude, when you make that much money, dude, you know what I mean? Like, what are you really playing for a million, a million five winners check? Does that move the needle for you when you got that deal with Nike? Probably not. So I think he, I think he's still, um, committed and works hard on his game. I know he works hard on his game because I, I know guys that are around him and see that, but I don't know that like if everything's not firing with Rory, I don't know that he's all the way in, you know, I don't know he's going to grind it out on a Saturday and Sunday to finish top 10 when he, he knows he probably can't win. That's kind of my take on him. He's just a hard that's, one to figure out because talent wise, he's, he's unbelievable. That's interesting. Cause I, I feel like, at least in previous years, the narrative was there was so much pressure on him and he would always, he would have some blowups in the first round. And then when the pressure was off, he'd come and get this backdoor. Yeah. Top that's 10. what he's been historically. And, and, and the majors, the top tens, the majors, I would maybe throw that out the window because they're majors, right? His juices are good. That's what gets him up at this point in his career. Nothing changes Roy McElroy's legacy more or less than winning majors. If he goes and wins, Two, three. If he goes and wins, name one. The Travelers this year. Is anyone going to say, like, wow, what a great year? No. But if he goes and win the Masters, wow, great year. That moves you up in the pecking order in terms of all time, right? That's the only thing that I think moves the needle for Rory is majors. So I just don't think you see his best stuff, his most committed stuff other weeks because I, I, I don't know that it moves the needle for him. What Do you think that his recent form then, is he someone that, like, you would be like, his recent form matters a lot less? Yes. I would absolutely say that. And I would, with what he, his comments that he made recently about trying to gain distance and trying to chase Bryson and things like that shocked me because Rory McIlroy, by the way, with the, whatever swing he had before he started trying to add length and add speed, he, he wasn't taking a back seat to Bryson DeChambeau by very much at all. Like he's having a conversation with the guy if they both hit it in the fairway, you know what I mean? Like they, they're in like some 25 yard, 30 yard differential. that's really going to make a difference. So I was shocked to hear that Rory of all people 
was the guy who, by the way, if the, if the, if Rory retired tomorrow, you'd put him in the conversation for best drivers of the golf ball ever. Like that's how good he was. And then he went and tried to change some things, which well, I was I really, <laughs> really, really surprised to see him, to see him chasing Bryson in that regard. And also maybe even more surprised to see him acknowledge it because I feel like that's a feather in Bryson's cap. Like, yeah, dude, I'm the sun, bro. You, you revolve around me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm controlling this thing. Everyone else moves around me, especially Rory McIlroy, who has a better resume than Bryson. So I was, but he's also one of the most honest interviews in the game of golf. He's going to tell you what he's thinking. And I think he just said the truth there, but I was surprised to hear him admit it. So do we like Rory this weekend then? I, I mean, he's not or in next my, week, sorry, next he's weekend. not in my top three that i mean i would love it might be better for rory going into this year because no one's expecting much of him every other year going into this thing it's like oh career grand slam win the masters you're the perfect guy you've been so close so many times and he's got to hear all that same narrative over and over this week or this this coming week um he's not gonna hear like he's not one of the top guys it's gonna be all dj talk it's gonna be jt talk it's gonna be bryson talk it's gonna be those guys you know what i mean uh, maybe not Rom, but like those will be the guys getting a lot of the conversation and Rory might be able to be as, as under the radar uh, as crazy as it sounds as Rory's ever been. Which of the, the top guys do you think is sort of most likely to underachieve? Mm. Good question. Uh, out of that In terms of world golf ranking, I would say Colin Morikawa. Because A, I don't think he has quite the gas pedal off the tee that I think you're going to need to beat a DJ. Look at what DJ did in November, dude. You ain't going to shoot those scores, hitting it 25 yards behind DJ. You're just not going to do it, period. Uh, and we look at all the other top guys, DJ, Bryce, and Justin. They're all moving it out there. And also, the putter at Augusta National is such a big deal that I don't – like, that's that's his one bugaboo. That's his one thing that's kind of – you know, it's gotten better since he's gone to this little the pencil grip and things like that. But Augusta – is a different beast. I think that's why Rory hadn't gotten it done around there. He's hit it plenty good, I think, to win at least one, maybe multiple green jackets. So his lack of length and his his maybe the putter not being his strength, that's why I say I love a Colin Morikawa at a really, really tough U.S. Open setup more than I would like him at Augusta. So, okay, JT, DJ, Bryson, Xander, and Cantlay. Mm. Who's yeah. worst in that group? Who's the worst? Who's the worst in that group? Because to me, to me, outside of Rom, that's kind of like those are the guys, at least in terms of my sort of adjusted strokes gained. Like that's that's the top; those are the top guys coming in. So who's going to finish worst out of those guys? DJ Bryson, JT. Who are the other two? Xander uh, and Cantlay. Oh shit, <laughs> that's tough. I mean, that's um, that's the elite. Th- them and Rom; those are the top guys in my in my view. That's the elite elites. Yeah. God, if I had to pick a guy to short, at a, or I had to pick the guy to finish in the caboose out of all those, God, I mean, this is this is a tough one. Um, I guess I would go – I might go with Cantley. I guess. I mean, shit, I love every single one of those guys you said. Uh, it's like uh, Tom Brady or Joe Montana, you know, who's worse? Um, they're all really, really good. I just like Cantley a Newton. lot. Cam Newton. Yeah. Cam Newton, Newton, that'd be the answer. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I would. I guess I would take. Um, I guess I would take. Who did I just say? Xander. Cantlay. I, did I say Cantlay? I don't even remember who I picked. That's how uncertain I am of my answer right there. Cantlay. Oh God. Well, your non-answer I mean, is a good answer. I'm literally. Just, I would literally draw straws and say, "All right, give me that guy," because I. I think they're more or less all going to be there on Sunday. 
Okay. Jeff, should we get uh, should we get into the Calcutta? Yeah, let's get in the Calcutta. We can finish that off with that. Um, would love to hear your point of view. Like, what kind of Masters Calcuttas have you been in in the past? Yeah, I've been, like, the, the club that I belong to up here in Scottsdale does one. And there's, like, typically... Which, which I, club is that? It's called Whisper Rock Golf okay. Club in He's North Scottsdale. Whatever. Three, three times, Jeff. Three I don't times, want to make it yeah. a big deal, but it just thrice thrice champion there um well so i was like you guys were talking about recent form and so today i had a lesson and i was striping the ball with in my lesson and i kind of think that means i'm going to play well tomorrow right doesn't that mean that people should now we're talking about our own golf games 100 I mean, you're good but like if i was striping the ball on the range today. you hit it good on the range it never doesn't translate to the golf course i've never hit it good on the range and gone out and hit it like shit you're done you're done you're there dude you the hay is, is in the I'm barn good. It's over. But yeah, yeah at, the, at Whisper Rock, we do some deal. I'm trying to remember exactly, but it's like basically like, all right, you got your A players, right? They'll trot out the top 10 in the world. You get B players, C players, D, and down the list, and you get a team of whatever. Um, and you got to pick one out of each one. And maybe the prices vary a little bit. Like DJ's the most, Bryson's second. And you get X amount of dollars, and you got to field your team that way. I think that's the way the one that I do. That That's pretty much like the only master's calcutta i've been a part of i typically just bet like head-to-heads and things like that so how okay, do you guys Rufus, do it so first well, that, off this I, is the thing off, is i never uh, whenever i hit on the range before my round i play much worse are you a no practice guy uh well i, I like i like practicing I, although i like playing more but if i if i go on the range before i waste all my good shots and then I suddenly i'm out there and i'm thinking about stuff with my swing rather than just hitting it you know what i mean all you got to do is stretch and hit about six or seven, eight, yeah. ten balls max, and let's go. You ain't figuring anything out. Exactly. I figured it out on the course. Exactly, dude. And then and then I get off the course before I have time to unforget it. Done. If it goes you well. got, Yeah. You got it figured. Yeah. So, Rufus, tell, walk him through what our okay. Cal- Masters Calcutta is looking like from okay. a scoring standpoint. So, what we for, from a scoring standpoint, what we had been discussing, uh, I need to find the text I sent to Jeff now, actually. Um, this it. makes for good podcasting it does, when it just does. Like does yes. so, so basically <laughs> the payout you know from, from your experience that this is good podcasting I get so it we'd pay out the top 10 um, dead heat rules um, like first like 30% second 20, third 10, fourth 8 then 6, 5 all the way down to 10th place getting 1% of the pot um, and then add in stuff for like low round Sunday, low round Saturday um, Friday and Thursday uh, and then some kind of crazy stuff for like a percent, like maybe, um, like best, best, um, highest official world golf ranking guy to miss the cut, get something, um, ah. worst finish among those who made the cut. Uh, yeah. So there's some like kind of props in there to keep yeah. everybody, keep me interested in case your team's shit and, and basically auction off. So I, I, auction off everybody individual uh, individually up to a certain threshold. Like maybe that's top 50 in the official world golf rankings. Although right now that, that uh, excludes Spieth. We didn't even talk about Spieth. Holy shit. Um, well, he did. He talked about, I know, it a but, bit. but about where Spieth's going to, f- I mean, I know you, I know Drew said he liked Spieth. Um, but I do. Is he elite? Is he one yes. of those top guys now? I like Spieth more than any um, – this is the tournament I like Spieth at more than anywhere on the planet. Okay. Yeah. I expect a good week out of Spieth. But, uh, but then after we get, like, to the – you know, after, to a certain point, I think we, we sort of 
lump it together, like have all the seniors auctioned off as a block and maybe throw in the amateurs there too. Cause there's only three this year, I think. Right. Strafacci. Strafacci. I want I Sandy Lyle for a million. Immediately. Seriously. We need a prize for like DFL then for the to, to incentivize those seniors. All right, Rufus, we got to get, we got to get, this is important stuff. We got to get it his is. point of view on this. Okay. Okay. So you need to actually know how to read this to him. So here's what a Calcutta is. Okay. We auction off all the golfers. So we got to figure out like which of them we should auction off first. I, so, I didn't know I was saying what a Calcutta was. I thought you asked me to talk about the format. No, but with a format, right? Like yeah. we have to get Chaos. feedback from him. So okay. if you were buying into a Calcutta, how many of the golfers should we auction off? Should we auction off all of them or should we auction off the top 50 or, or what do you think? Like what are, what's the line where we should draw it where we're like the top 50 and the rest are in the field? Yeah, I would take, I think you hit the, I think that's the right number. I think top 50, I think if you like, honestly, the guys that are able to win it, I think there's, I think 50 might even be stretching it, but I think you're catching them all. If you go to 50, not to say there can be some weird anomaly in there, but yeah, I think you want all the guys that could, that can win the green jacket at the end of the week. And I think 50 is probably the right number. And then I would lump some of those guys. I mean, you don't want to be auctioning off frigging Larry Mize and, you know, Sandy Lyle and some of these guys I've never heard of before. Like you could probably just lump those guys into a category and say, all right, pick your pick who you want out of this or something. You put Mickinson okay, so in we, there now too. Yeah. We can't, we can't talk about Phil. Like he that. is a senior. He's a senior. He goes with the seniors. He goes with VJ and Freddie. I, you, I, you guys are disparaging Phil Mickelson. I love big Phil. I would yeah. never. Okay, good. Good to know. We're not disparaging him for real. Okay, so um, then we pay out the top 10 in the tournament, right? So it's first, um, you know, first, second, third, there's percentages for each of them. Then we should definitely have a low round Monday, low round Tuesday, uh, sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all of them, right? They should get yep. something to pay. Yep. And then the key is what are the junk bets? So the criticism, Rufus, when I got off some of good the junk bets. Right. Uh -huh. The criticism off of the junk bets are that many of our junk bets are correlated with top 10 would diversify those or make the less good ones worth more. Okay. Wait, wait, do you mean the criticism from our previous Calcutta's or from no, this? from our Calcutta expert. So, okay. So the low round. So what, stuff. so Drew, what we'd like from you are ideas on what the junk bets should be. I.e. like, Imagine that there's like, yeah. imagine that we're auctioning off the top 50 and then the field and mm -hmm. the field has some value because right. ultimately you feel like these are going to be like, there should be some value like of highest score yes. period. Yeah. You need or some of the shitty guys score to on have any value. Day. Highest score on any day period. Although yeah. I will still say guys, there's going to be a lot of value anyway. Cause like a guy like Bubba is outside the top 50 in the official world golf rankings and Spieth is too, but Spieth will be inside. Rufus, the week. whole point is you want some level of like the high score on any day. You want like, like the a, worst guy might be worth something. He might be more valuable than the 60th guy because he might the shoot highest the highest score, score on right. any day. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying though, is that there's going to be a lot of good golfers in this. That's fine. Yeah, in that, like, in that well, anyway, like, but yeah, okay. Yeah, and they could win the good junk bets, and yeah. then you need some. You need the bad players to have some value, so they could win the bad ones. So like high, high score, right? You want the worst guy who's going to shoot the highest. So you're going to pick one of the oldest dudes, you know, the ceremonial guys and things like that. So you got high score in there. I think you could throw in maybe 
highest score on a given hole, like who will make the biggest number in the tournament. There could be a lot of great one. There could be some ties in that there, right? You're going to probably see some eight burgers thrown out there on maybe a par five or even a par four, something like that. Or you could even throw it in more specifically. All right. Where do you see some big numbers made? All right. 12, you see some digits made, right? We see tiger have a little bit of stress with that. By the way, here's, here's an idea, right? And we're brainstorming right now. We know the rules of brainstorming are there's no such thing as a bad idea. Um, one idea would be, what if we did the field is not eligible for certain junk bets? So you're trying to, like, mm. the only the top 50 that are actually named are the ones that are in line to have, to win any of the worst poll, worst score on it. Yeah, so you would need a top 50 guy, top 50 guy with the highest score. You could go take Larry Mize or whoever, or for highest individual hole score. It'd only be those top 50 auctions. So you can't just go bet the... Hey, let me get, let me scoop the worst guy in the field, basically. Rufus, what do you think about that? This is that? like the stuff that like, you know, like, I mean, well, I, I kind of like Brian Harmon actually, but like the, the Brian Harmon's, the guys that are at the low end of the, the guys we're auctioning off. You could do here. highest score made on number 12. I mean, if the wind blows there, some people are going to mess that up and they're going to be two balls in the water in a row. You're going to need one of those guys. You could do highest score on number 12, or you could pick a hole, right? Make it. 13 15 whatever hole you want where some digits get made out there you could do highest score on an individual hole what about most balls in the water yep most balls in the water most three putts could be one pick a guy in top 50 maybe pick a bad putter maybe it's Corey connors who's probably going to finish eighth with the most three putts in the field (laughs) who i love um yeah like most three putts you're looking for like bad ones more or less right um they don't have to be bad Bad I kind of think that I think they could be that, good too. Yeah, there can be or, like or just there. There should be good ones that actually aren't completely court. Like, how about aces, right? Like, whoever is there, if there's an ace, there should be a percentage. If not, the a percent that percentage just folds into the rest, right? How about lowest score relative to par? You got to play all four rounds, so you can't miss the cut relative to par on the back nine. Something like that. I like that. Low, lowest you know, back nine score lowest back that's where that's where you butter your bread out there so and guys can get crazy weird on that nine too some eagles to be had lowest back nine total cumulative for the week uh could be a good one I'm trying to think what l um i think aces is a good one but apparently i kind of like that idea one. jeff of only the only the top 50 guys are eligible for the junkers you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, think, not, I think we're in for that. You're right. No, I, I agree. Because I, I don't want it just being like Sandy Lyle versus Larry Mize. And, yeah, and, like and, some dude, like one of those guys could, gobble. no offense, like could blow out their hip on the, you know what I mean? And shoot a hundred. And it's like, okay, like it should be in the top 50 guys, guys that have a legit shot. I kind of like that rule. So you're not just picking, you know, the guys that won the 1990 or 85. 57. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that lowest cumulative on the back. That could, that's a that's a good one. Who gets it going? Because if you have a guy that's not in contention but just turns it on on the back, you know, and then maybe a guy's leading and he plays it a little safer on the on the back. Yeah. You never know what can happen. What about biggest differential from their world golf ranking versus their finish? Yeah. Ooh. Mm, that's interesting. So, like, who outperforms their world golf ranking? Oh, outperforming the most? it. Or, oh, or even better. who under who under what about like that would be pretty good also. So amateur again are the is this only top fifty guys? This is eligible? only these junk bets are only the top the top fifty ones, right? 
Yeah, I think yeah. that was what that's we, that's what you got to do. I think it's that's gotta good. Be like, yeah, it's, it's got to be top fifty. Otherwise, you have like Charles. Os- does Charles Osborne even have an official world golf ranking? I, was, I, I just so. saw some names at the bottom. I was like, can't even tell you who that is. So, and yeah. if you can't tell me who it is, then I certainly don't have any any shot of knowing who it is. Correct. You could probably tell me their proximity to the hole, but maybe not who they are. <laughs> uh, he could uh, probably tell you their proximity to the hole right now. <laughs> yeah, just off the top. <laughs> just off the top. Um, He's just not good. Those could be separate. Those could be separate junkers who underperforms their world golf ranking by the most and who over who I think they're it. those both should be. But yeah. then you're gonna have they're like all right. Down. So I mean DJ's out for overperform, right? I mean he can't. Um but he could he totally he win underperform one. for he sure. Could, I think you I think underperform, you're looking at the top six, seven, eight guys in the world and betting one of those. All it takes is a bad round or two, and they I mean, yeah, Bryson has a bad day. He could way underperform. You'd want to stay away from the middle guys, probably. No, Rufus, it should probably be worst finish of the top 50. And then also biggest winner on the – because it's still – like what we're trying to do is give like the the lower tier top 50 guys more value. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Brian Harmons of the world. The, the Robert McIntyres. And you could maybe like – Maybe you could throw in like high score for the just one round, the highest back nine score of the week. It's that way if you if you're buying some of these guys that are good and they just completely tank, you could actually still, you know, it's not a complete loss. They might have a chance to actually, you know, earn you something. What about the biggest differential between their front nine and back nine in a round? Like a guy goes out in like thirty-two and comes in in the you know forty. Forty thirty. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like biggest. Although it seems like kind of mostly nine. a crapshoot, though, right? I mean, I think there could, there's the potential to be a lot of ties in these junkers, you know. Well, the, that's yeah. good. I mean, because that means it, it gets split up, and like, I mean, oh, then you chop too it. Often, okay. You don't want the Calcutta to just be like the. Every, it's all about you know if you don't have someone in the top three, you're basically shut out. Yeah, that's why you need some bad stuff like highest score, worst you know, worst score on number twelve, whatever. If they play, if your guy plays terrible, you can still get some money. And you kind of do want this to be as random. Like, we kind of want this to be as random as possible. We're tired of Rufus being Rufus. Hey, you're the one that cleans up in the playoff Calcutta. Well, you're about to win the NCAA Calcutta. So, actually, Doug is about to win the NCAA. Doug Kazarian's going to take it. And, and ESPN daily wager personality that, um, that Bill Walton talks about all the time. All right, here's a question for you guys. Role reversal, since I'm, I'm used Absolutely. to being on the other side. Love it. I'm in a, and you might not be able to give this out yet since I don't know how secretive you guys are with your stuff, but I'm in a, I'm in a survivor pool. Okay. With Colt, we do it on our radio show and on our podcast. You can pick, you know, the rules of survivor, right? Pick one guy. Once you use them, you can't use them anymore. If you're me, I need to make a move. Let's just suffice it to say, I need to make a move. If you're me this week, who's the best. I haven't used any of the big dogs yet. None of the, all the big names are available. Who, who should I go with? Wait, so what is the – is it to make the cut? or what No, is it's the... total money earned for the entire year, Survivor. So once these guys – Oh, got it, got it, got So, got like, it. if you had picked JT at the players, like, that's pretty good. That's a lot – you know what I mean? So we save – you obviously save the biggest guys for the biggest purses. This one being one of them, who would you guys go with? Feed me. Rufus, who would you take? Hey, Jeff, Jeff, you're normally secretive about this stuff. I know you guys. Uh, you guys want to text it to me on the side? No, 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 Rufus. You got to give him a little help here. So Who I mean, I, I don't know what I can say except for like, you know, I. I mean, I think we went over who the top guys are, right? Like, the question is, what 
you know, Who you have the most anybody. faith in, though. I haven't used any. DJ haven't used them. Bryson, okay, so you Justin, want... Rom, Spieth, McElroy. You're telling him who you think has the best chance to win independent, Rufus, of their odds. The only guys I've used that are high that we've mentioned are uh, Shafle, who I used at Phoenix, and he finished runner-up. Shout out to him. And Cantlay, who I used last week at the freaking match play and was playing the best golfer out there and didn't even advance. Those are only two big ones I've used. Rufus, I mean, okay, answer. so I know I'm looking. I, I I haven't finished my numbers for the Masters. Fair warning, but but I would say like I mean, after Rom, aside from the baby, so so not Rom, right? Um, Bryson or DJ? Okay, perfect. And so then JT. I know if Colt listens to this, I kind of feel like you need to take. Me. I was gonna go Bryson, honestly. Well, why wouldn't you, you take to, JT? You have to ask your boy, and you said it's like Bryson or JT. Those are the two. Those are the two I'm between. I can't take Xander, who I love this week. I can't take Cantley, who I love this week. I'm not going to take Rom because of our interview last night. It sounds like he's pretty firm on getting the hell out of there if it happens anytime before the back nine on Sunday. So those are my two guys. It's one of those two. Is this, I'm probably is this their, not taking is this DJ. First? Is this their first kid? This is their first. And I'm going to stay away from DJ just because of the slaughter that he put out there in November. I just think that's a hard one to back up. So – I don't know. That's totally subjective too, but it's going to be Bryson or JT. The first usually comes late, right? That's, That's like the, the rumor, dude, but I got, I got a kid. I got one kid and she came a week early. So, I mean, I don't know. And you still I don't know how parents? that works. I don't really even know how babies made. I don't, I still don't even really understand the whole process. To I love that you're about to say, you don't even know how babies are made. I think you yeah, do. It's like oh. a little stork shows up, drops them off. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. That's good scoop. I'll okay. take that into account, boys. All right. Sounds well, good. thanks for joining us, Drew. We'll let you go. We Rufus just gave me the top two odds favorites for the Masters as his favorite guy. Exactly. <laughs> no, it was very, I mean, it was the market, the, like the market, <laughs> the market's pretty efficient. What can I say? I know. Rufus dude. is one of the most useless people you'll ever meet. To to your own, like he will tell you about how well he's done betting and all this kind of stuff, and like. Well, None of it's ever helpful for you. The fact that he texted me and I have his number now, he is going to rue the day that he freaking <laughs> sent me a text, but I'm, I'm going to be hitting him every week, especially as my deficit starts to grow in this survivor pool. I'm going to need serious lean from both of y'all. Well, you, you have to ask, uh, you got to ask Cole if he remembers me. I will I'll ask him about those shoes that somehow he offered. Well, who wants a dude's shoes? Like that's the worst shit. How about the glove or a ball or something <laughs> cool, dude? I'm a freaking shoe. You want my underwear? Uh, these are kind of itchy. I'm going to get rid of them. I'll sign them for you after the round. I mean, come on, bro. Tighten up. Give me something that I can use. I mean, he doesn't look like a guy who sweats too much though. Right. So no, he's super right. dry, super dry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure what to make of all of this. Uh, Drew, thanks for joining us. It was awesome. I mean, I know you don't really want to have um, like mid-tier or low-tier podcast hosts ever on your podcast, but if ever you <laughs> are like last minute, like Rory cancels on you. I'm not saying which Rory. It might be Sabatini. It might be could be McElroy, Sabo. It could be any of them. Yeah, um, I love that Slovakian guy. Yeah, Rufus or I'll be on for sure. Done. I've Consider never, I mean, Jeff. Done, I've boys. never heard you beg before. This is amazing. I'm not be, begging. I be bet nice. to be on. I bet to be on part of my take. That's a whole different story. Yeah, that's not a bad one to go on. Yeah, not yeah. a bad one. We'll get you warmed up for that, though, bro. Okay, man. Uh, Drew, take thanks some for BP. joining us. All right, you got it, boy. Analytically driven media coverage. Sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of Reddit.